Ladies and gentlemen, it's the late night birthday edition of Offside Hockey Talk, and we got a special guest, Adam Kimmelman's joining us to talk about the 2023 NHL entry draft, talk about what the Leafs may or may not do, and a few other things we'll run through as well. But before we go any further, I want to introduce my co-host as always, Mr. Pete the Heat. How's it going tonight? Yeah, it's going well, late night, but we're here, we're ready to go. We're fired up on the East Coast, that's for sure. And then, of course, Adam Kimmelman, uh, thank you so much for dropping by. Uh, let everybody know, where are you? Where are you from? If people don't know, they should know. But, hey, you know what? Sometimes people don't see everything. Well, I am Deputy Managing Editor of NHL.com. So I've been there since 2007 covering, you know, I'm based out of Philadelphia. So I'm covering a lot of stuff with the Philadelphia Flyers. In addition, I also spend a lot of time covering the draft. So I've done that every year since 2008. Wow, there you go. So the coverage right there. So working for NHL.com obviously comes with its perks, some bells, some whistles. What is your favorite part of the job? I mean, working at NHL.com. Is it getting to talk to players, getting to interview people? Uh, what is it for you? Well, it's it's just having being able to build that relationship with players and with teams because, you know, we're media sort of, and I got to put it kind of in air quotes because we're not the same as what you would get you know, from your local newspaper or from Sportsnet or TSN where they're breaking news and really digging and hunting for things. We kind of, we're more reactionary. And when the clubs announce it, we'll announce and react to it. So it's a little bit of a, of a different thing. But at the same time, when players or coaches or managers know I'm asking them a question, they can say things to me and not have to worry about it ending up on Twitter or, or some other social media or in the newspaper on a website. They know there's some they know if they say something sensitive to me, they know what's going to be kept in, in some level of privacy. So it's sort of that balance where we don't get the, the breaking news hits of like um, someone like a Darren Drager or a Bob McKenzie. But at the same time, we might there's a certain comfort level that our sources have with us because of who we are and who we work for. Now. Obviously, getting that information and keeping it under wraps and just being able to to kind of know things before things happen. Um, has there ever been a situation where something has been told to you and you're just like, man, if I could just just <laughs> once just break this, this would be fun because it's just one of those things that's so tantalizing. Yeah, more often than, than people probably realize. And, and it's something that I'm never going to really put out into the public but yes there are things i hear things i see things i know that you know for multiple reasons i i can't put out into the public sphere however Mm -hmm. but it is but again it's it's nice for the people that i know that they feel comfortable saying certain things around me with the trust of you know my reputation from you know not just working for the nhl but i've been covering the nhl since 2002 so i have a pretty good reputation amongst the players I cover, the coaches I cover, you know, guys coming into the league know me before they even get drafted into, before they get drafted into the NHL. So, you know, I've, I've established a foundation. There's that trust with that I have with certain guys, guys who are now coaches and managers who I covered as players. So it, it, it's pretty fun that way. Awesome. Um, awesome. Um, getting, I, go ahead, Pete. I was going to say, um, just – I was browsing your Twitter uh, bio and I noticed you've written three books with the, about the Philadelphia Flyers. Did you want to elaborate on that? Expand? Are, oh, are you, sure. You yeah. Um, well, yeah, they're, 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 I'm trying to think the first one came out before I started working for the NHL back in 2008. You can still get it. We updated it in 2013. It's um the good, the bad and the ugly, the history of the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, so that counts as two because we did there, this, there is new material in the second one. This great cover photo of um, I don't know if you guys remember Jason Smith. He is an assistant. Um, I believe he is an assistant. He was an assistant with the Ottawa Senators. I don't think he's there now. Um, I remember him, great, yeah. great picture of of blood dripping down his face. Just really saying kind of everything you need to say about Philadelphia Flyers. And there's another one: a hundred things every Flyers fan should know and do before they die. Just uh, you know, I'm biased, but I think they're fantastic and just. You know, the Flyers are more than just a regional team. You know, I think there's Flyers fans in all corners of, of the hockey world because of just who they are and their history and, and the things that they've won. And people still reminisce fondly about the Broad Street Bullies, even though it's coming up on 50 years ago. There's still that that allure to them 
that all these years later through multiple generations kind of lasts. So there is some real interest on a, on a national level about what the flyers are and, and who they are and what they've done and, and what they're doing. Yeah. I, I can attest that the, uh, the Philadelphia flyer reach is really strong. I got two really good buddies that are flyers fans who love to give me the gears, uh, especially a couple seasons ago when the flyers actually passed the Leafs in points. Uh, I made the bet, obviously thinking with guys like Austin Matthews and the likes that uh, there's no way the Philadelphia Flyers would surpass the Maple Leafs. And sure enough, they did finish higher in the standings. So that one uh, kind of sucked. But hey, <laughs> again, now the Flyers are in this uh, this realm. We'll talk about them for just a moment um, where they're selling things off. Danny Briere looks like he uh, does not care what he lays down on the table here. He's going to make the moves that he feels are the right ones. And you've already seen a Provorov go out. You're hearing whispers of Carter Hart, Travis Konechny. Um, I want to ask you quickly, a lot of teams are licking their chops right now because there's some players on the Flyers that really would look good in different uniforms. And I mean, as Leaf fans, we look at a guy like Travis Konechny, even though he went after one of our boys in Austin Matthews, he'd still look good in the blue and white doing that to another team. I'm wondering for you, looking at the Flyers right now, do you foresee them really stripping it down to scorched earth and building it back up around the young players like a Cam York and the other ones that are there as well? Well, I, I think there's a couple of schools of thought there. And Danny Briere sort of has been open and adamant about this. You know, there's no sacred cows on that roster. If you want somebody, call me. I'm listening in on anybody. It doesn't mean he's necessarily going to move on anybody. You know, yep. if, if somebody picks up the phone and, and calls him and says, hey, what, you know, we have X, Y, and Z if, if you want to trade Carter Hart and, you know, I don't think he's actively shopping someone like Carter Hart or, or Travis Konechny, but if somebody calls, he's not going to ignore the phone call. So, sure, you know, yeah. you, you, you don't know what's out there. You don't know what other how other teams value your players unless you listen in on those calls. So, you know, we, we've already saw it with Ivan Provorov, you know, whether it's Travis Konechny, Carter Hart, anybody else, you know, he, he said he's open for business. The Philadelphia Flyers are, are willing to to make moves and do things that they think they need to do to get them back to being where they want to be, which is contending for, you know, Stanley cup playoffs and, and the Stanley cup. So where they are right now is not in their minds, not acceptable. So, you know, when you have a roster that has finished as far down as they have in the standings for, you know, two years running three years running now, you know, you have to be aggressive and you have to consider all options and that's where they are. Now I'll ask this about the flyers because we all know what the Philly fan base is like. Can they stomach a full-type rebuild? Or is it at the point now in Philly where they're ready for it and want it? Well, I, I think they want a winner. Whatever yeah. route you take to deliver a winner, uh, you know, being at the home games the last couple of years, if you're worried about fans in the building, well, there haven't been fans in the building very much. The, the attendance has been very light. You know, I, I you can just watch the games – and look in the stands and you can see, you know, a lot of empty seats. So they want a winning team and, they, and they're they're in very much a show me position. Show me that you're going to build a winning team. Show me that you can win games on a consistent basis. Show me that you can build a playoff contender. When you do that, we'll start coming back. So yes. whether the fan base can stomach a rebuild or not is irrelevant. It's what you are right now. And what they are right now is a team in need of a rebuild and a team in need of more talent, more skill. And that's been expressed from all levels of the organization. And that's what they're trying to accumulate. And you mentioned the Ivan Provorov trade. It, the, the big return on that was the first round pick in this year's draft. So yeah. now they've got two kicks at it, seven and 22 in a very deep draft. And that's going to enable them to continue building up their prospect base. All right, that's fair enough. And we'll spin it towards the draft here now. You you say uh, deep draft here. So I want to ask you, what does your top five look like? Because we spoke yesterday with Jerome Berube, who said, you know, I, I heard you talk about Adam Fantilli um, not even an hour ago when I was listening to one of the shows that you were on. Actually, I think it's your own show, um, you know, taking him second overall. Uh, I've heard, you know, the the Swedish, I believe, Swedish player going Neil second Carlson. overall. I don't remember his name top of my Neil head. Sorry, guys. Yeah, yeah running, running on no sleep over here. Um, <laughs> but uh, I've heard him going second overall uh, due to more hockey sense. Hockey IQ was higher with him. 
um, than Adam Fantilli, where Adam Fantilli, you know what you're getting, but it's more of a one one driven direction, and maybe the compete level is not as high. So I'm wondering for you, what's your top five, and uh, I guess what gives you the edge for Fantilli at two? Well, well, first of all, you know, I, I think it's sort of a no-brainer that Connor Bedard's going to go number one to the Chicago Blackhawks. And we had Connor, as well as Blackhawks amateur scouting director Mike Dunahy on our NHL Draft Class podcast, um, just kind of wow. talking about, you know, well, you know, obviously they're not going to, Chicago isn't going to say, yes, we're taking Bedard at this point, but <laughs> it, it would be pretty tough to, to, to imagine them not moving in that direction. And for me, Adam Fantilli absolutely is the, is the number two pick. I, I think he, in a year without a Connor Bedard, I think he'd be easily the number one choice. Just because, you know, you look at an 18-year-old going into the NCAA, playing against 23, 24, 25-year-old men, men, but 24 and 25-year-olds, far older, more developed competition, yeah. and he dominated. You know, he led the NCAA in points, tied for the lead in goals, won the Hobie Baker Award got his team to the Frozen Four. He was an elite player from the minute he walked in the door. But then you also look at what he did in the World Juniors and the World Championship for Canada, where he was shifted more to a bottom six role on the wing, and he still was able to find his niche, produce. You know, he scored the game-winning goal against the U.S. in the semifinals of the World Juniors, scored one of the great goals, one of the more highlight real goals of the World Championship. So when you look at that level of versatility – you know he's he's not going to be a bottom six guy in the NHL when he establishes himself. You think he's, he's not the lineup? I don't think he. I think he's due back for one more season in NCAA hockey, which is only going to help him. Yeah. But if it's Anaheim, if it's number two, you're mm-hmm. talking about a guy who's going to be able to step in, be a top two center, probably right off the hop, because he'll have you know he has the one thing that Connor Bedard does not have, and that's a six foot two hundred and ninety five pound frame which is probably going to be closer to 200 pounds, if not over 200 pounds, by the time he gets to the NHL. And then you add the skill, the head for the game, the shot, all the things you want to see in a player, Adam Fantilli has it. So he will be able to step into the step into an NHL lineup in a prime role and most likely be able to produce right off the hop when he's able when he reaches the NHL, you know, for the 24-25 season. Okay. Um, you, we talk about Connor Bedard and a little bit about the size. We just touched on it there. Um, we'll, we'll switch gears just back to him for just a moment. Do you see that being a problem for him until he's able to maybe establish himself a little bit more, maybe put on a couple more pounds? I mean, maybe he's not done growing either, um, gets a little bit more size to him. Or, you know, we all saw the shots of him being all gronked out on the uh, the bike and everything like that. You know, the muscles ripped to, to shreds, you know, like a beast. But I'm wondering, you know, the NHL is a different level. It's a different kettle of fish. You know, this yeah. guy coming into the, the – I'm just wondering, is it going to be too much for him too soon, especially on a Chicago team that doesn't have talent around him really right now? Right. I, I think if you look at what Patrick Kane did at age 18 when he came into the NHL, I think if you look at what Jack Hughes did at age 18 when they came into the NHL, they were able to pick their spots and be productive. They weren't what they became – until year three. Yeah. So, you know, if, if, I think if you expect Connor Bedard to come in and have a 70-goal, 140-point season <laughs> like he did this year in Regina, I think your expectations are out of whack. However, I think he is strong enough, I think he's smart enough, and I think he's skilled enough that you're not going to see him get physically dominated or get physically overmatched. Will there be nights when maybe he doesn't look his best where, you know, a bigger, stronger guy is able to knock him off of where he wants to be for sure. But that's no different than any other 18, 19 year old. Yeah. I I think in due time, Connor Bedard will be an elite player in the NHL. And I think you, you watch how Patrick Kane progressed year one, year two, year three. You watch how Jack Hughes progressed year one, two, three, Johnny Gaudreau, kind of the same thing. I I think you're going to see Connor Bedard become an elite player. Will it happen at 18? Probably not. But I don't think it's going to take him too long to be considered one of the top players in the NHL. Oh, Chicago fans just got really, really excited with that one. And I mean, there was some rumblings too. I don't know what Barbashev is going to do with the Vegas Golden Knights if he resigns there or not. But that might be a type of player you link up with Connor Bedard to give a little nastiness edge and you know just more grit to play beside him. And the guy could still contribute as well. Might help Connor Bedard along in his first season. Be interesting to see what Chicago does for him. 
Well, yeah, they, they, they need to surround him with, with talent. Look, nobody, Connor McDavid's not able to do it by himself. Sidney Crosby wasn't able to do it by himself. Alex Ovechkin wasn't able to do it by himself. It, it's not just one guy who's able to dominate and carry a team from where Chicago is now to where they want to be. Like it didn't yeah. take, it wasn't Patrick Kane by himself winning those three Stanley Cups. It, it took a lot of help for him to get there. And, you know, the same thing right now, you know, it's not going to be Connor Bedard's not going to land in Chicago and suddenly make them, you know, the central division champion and a contender for the Stanley cup. They need to add pieces around him. And that's what, that's the job now of Kyle Davidson and, and that staff there in Chicago to you've won the lottery literally and figuratively with Connor Bedard. Well, yeah. now you need to put in the real work, which is surrounding Connor Bedard with talent that he can elevate and that will also elevate him. Well, that's fair. Well, we were, we've talked to a few people about the draft here. And uh, you touched on it maybe being a deeper draft. I've heard it maybe not being so deep, maybe middle of the level in terms of what you might get after the 15th pick, which is almost a lot of drafts, but this one not being as deep as others. What do you think there? Do you think this is a true deep draft where the first round really could produce talent for teams? Um, you know, as soon as maybe not this year, but next uh, with guys stepping in, or is it is it a middle of class kind of draft? I, I think if you we, if you ask me that same question five, six, seven years from now, I think the answer will be several foundational players, all star level guys. This is a very very deep draft. It's one of the more talented drafts that I've been a part of, and I've been doing this since two thousand eight. You know, we mentioned Bedard and Fantilli. I think yep. Leo Carlson, who I have going number three in my mock draft, has a chance to be a, an outstanding top-end franchise center. Uh, you know, is Will Smith, the U.S. national team player, I think has outstanding talent, whether he plays in the middle or on the wing. He's got that game-breaking ability that, you know, is going to pull you out of your seat. You know, I talked to scouts about Will Smith, and the, the reply was whether he had a hat trick or whether he didn't have a point you very rarely left the building saying he wasn't the best player on the ice. So yeah. that, that tells you all I need to know. And then Matt Bay Mitchkov, the Russian player who really is the, the wild card of this draft. Cause he could go, you know, anywhere in the top. Jeez. I, I can't imagine him slipping much past the top seven or top eight, but he's another one with elite level skill, elite level ability that, you know, if we weren't having the situation that we're in, we might be talking about two generational players in Bedard and Mitchkov versus just one. So Mitchkov from a, from a raw skill perspective is as close to Bedard as anybody else in this year's draft. But there are issues beyond the skill that yeah. leave some question marks. So I have him going at number five in my mock draft, but he could go, he could go anywhere. He could go as high as number two. You know, it depends on the team and, and the patience and are they willing to, you know, handle, can they handle all the outside noise surrounding Mitchkov and, and not to, you know, starting with the three years he has left on his KHL contract. Mm. So you have to be willing to be patient to wait for that contract to play out. Then you wonder, can you get him over here? But if you're in a position and that's why I think the Montreal Canadiens are the perfect fit for him because they have already started to assemble a really nice young core. You look at Caulfield and Suzuki and doc and Slavkovsky and what they've added on the back end with Gooley and Barron and Jordan Harris, you know, those guys are just sort of hitting their prime mm -hmm. in another three years. They're going to be at their top level. And then you would maybe add in a 22 year old Matvey Mitchkoff with by then four years of KHL experience on an entry level contract, which is also key that, you know, to me, the timeline fits for where Montreal is in their build. If they were to add a player like Mitchkoff, but there's not a team in the NHL he couldn't help based on what I've seen with the skill and and all the ability that he has. Right. Now, you clearly like Bedard at one, Mitch Calvert, Fantilli at two. Do you have two other guys that are on your radar? Give us your top five if you can. Well, you know, uh, I to me, it's Bedard, Fantilli, and then Leo Carlson at three. And then I think Will Smith at number four to San Jose mm. is really the perfect choice. You know, they need that game-breaking talent, and, and yeah. he's going to do at least one season at Boston College. But I think the Sharks like that college route. You know, you look at their management staff, Mike Greer, David Quinn, 
both did the college route themselves before they came into the NHL. So they understand how much that can help a player. So to me, though, that's your top four. And then I have Mitch at number five, the Montreal. So, you know, however you want those guys to go, to me, those guys all have the look of, of elite level NHL talent once they are able to get into the league and establish themselves on their respective time frames. So for Michkov, I just want to jump in on this one here. Um, would you say it's like the Kaprizov effect? They were waiting for him for so long to come in, and when he finally did, it was really blow the doors off kind of thing. Would you expect the kind of same level of play out of this gentleman if he does join the Montreal Canadiens or any team for that matter? Right. Well, it's hard to to say as, you know, if he comes in, in four years, I believe he'll be 22. It's hard to say, okay, 22-year-old, just parachute into the NHL and be a 40-goal scorer. Yeah. That's, you know, it's hard to put that, and it's not fair to the young man to put that on him. However, based on the skill set that we've seen at 18, and if you sort of, excuse me, project that upward, I think if that were the route and the right players are around him, I think there's no reason to, to think that a 30-goal season in his for as an NHL rookie, I don't think that's beyond the realm of expectation if that's the, the way things play out. And, and that's saying if he stays healthy and if yeah. he continues to develop the way he's developing, obviously a lot can change between age 18 and age 22, <laughs> yeah. whether you're a hockey player or not. So, you know, that, that's sort of the, 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 the line that he goes on if things stay the same, whether they, they increase or decrease, you know, remains to be seen. But if he continues on the development track that he's on, when he does come to the NHL, he looks like he can be a guy that, you know, whether it's a Kaprizov level or not, he's a guy with elite level skill when he gets to the NHL. Gotcha. Now, All right. now in terms of the, the draft, everyone has their, their, projected, their projected picks here. Um, do you have any maybe hidden gems that no one's really talking about or maybe some players that might be a little overrated? Well, I, I think... The guy that I'm really curious about outside of Mitchkov is when the first defenseman's going to go. And I believe it's going to be David Re- David Reinbacher, the Austrian-born defenseman playing for Cloten in the Swiss League. To me, he's very reminiscent of a Moritz Sider, just with the head for the game, the skill, the skating. He doesn't have the – he's not as big as Sider was, but he's 6'2 and 190 pounds. He certainly isn't going to be intimidated. He's played two years of men's hockey already in the Swiss League played the world championships, would have had a bigger bite at the world championship, but he had a knee injury, you know, on, on the Austria teams, you know, it's going to be difficult for him. You're not going to really see the big counting numbers because they are overmatched going against the U S Canada, Sweden, Finland's of the world, but he looks like an outstanding young prospect. And in a, in a draft where there are so many high end talented forwards, you know, there becomes a little bit of a law of supply and demand. So, where would where is he going to end up as a team that thinks maybe it needs a defenseman that he might not be there at you know the middle of the round maybe he goes a little bit higher just because well if we wait we're not going to get the guy we want so I think Reinbacher's a guy that's really interesting I have him going at number eight to Washington in my okay. mock draft just because I think at some point you know they've added guys like Connor McMichael and Hendricks Lapierre the last couple of years in the first round. John Carlson's not getting any younger. They've lost Jonas Siegenthaler. You know, they don't really have a real deep group on defense there. So maybe it's time to start building up that area of your of your prospect development system. I think Reinbacher is a good choice for Washington. However, if I'm Arizona at six and I have number 12 also in a draft deep in forwards, do you take the defenseman early knowing that the forward you get at 12 isn't going to be that huge a drop off from the forward you could get at number six? So it's a really interesting, you know, kind of thing there. You know, how much value do you place on the position and how much value do you place on the player compared to what's going to be available around him? That's true. I mean, I look at I looked at a few mock drafts and obviously you look at Craig Buttons and a few other guys. Um, you know, in the same spot they they got uh, Wallander going to Washington at 8. Um, you know, as that type of defenseman. Um, I wonder for you Everybody has their list and their projections. And like Pete said, you know, guys they like. Do you have someone that's kind of fallen down the draft rankings that was rated pretty high that's maybe um, 
I wouldn't say not impressed because all these guys are impressive. I mean, they put their life into this and, you know, it's a lot of hard work going into it, but maybe someone who was ranked really high going into the season and kind of maybe has settled lower than a lot of people expected. Well, you know, it's hard to say because there are so many talented guys in this year's draft and, you know, maybe somebody like Dalibor Dvorsky, the, the, you know, Slovakian born center is playing in Sweden. Some guys, some teams might have him ranked as high as number five, number four on their list. Going at number to the St. Louis Blues. That doesn't yep. mean Dvorsky's any sort of a lesser player. It's just a matter of there. there's such fine little things separating these guys. You know, someone like um, Braden, between like a Braden Yeager and a Zach Benson and an Oliver Moore, Dvorsky, um, Nate Danielson, Ryan Leonard. You know, there, there's so little separating these these guys. It really is eye of the beholder. So if you you could take five teams in their list from say six to fifteen, and you could see the same nine guys if you ask some another scout, but they'll be in a completely different order. Yeah. And it's just I think when I saw this guy on this night, he was great doing this. When I saw him, when the other guy saw him on that night, he this guy was better. There's just there's so little to separate these guys, and that goes back to what I said earlier about this being such a highly skilled, very deep, very talented crop of players to choose from. It is very difficult to separate who's going to go where. Okay, okay. Well, that gets us to the fun part here. Obviously, being a Leafs-centric show, I want to ask you, the Leafs have the 28th pick right now by way of the Boston Bruins. The guy that I would like to see them select is Quentin Musty. Um, I don't know if he's going to be available. Some people have him ranked pretty high. Others have him ranked outside of the first round. So I'm wondering for you, where do you have him slotted in? And is there a possibility maybe he falls to the Leafs? Because it looks like the Leafs have drafted defensemen and forwards. I think maybe another forward, maybe something they could use, especially on the left side where you're losing a bunting and stuff like that. Might be good to slot him in in a couple of years once he develops a little bit further. He does have a bit of size. Um, What are your thoughts on Quentin Musty for the Leafs? Or is that just way too far-fetched? He'll be gone. You know, it's it's interesting you mentioned Musty. My colleague at NHL.com, Mike Morial, has Quentin Musty going to the Leafs at number 28 in our mock draft. Um, yeah, he, you know, that's he, that's sort of the sweet spot for a guy like him. Somewhere between 20 and 35 is probably the area where teams are looking at him. For me, I think Gavin Brindley is another guy who could fit the Leafs really well. Just with that, the motor that he has coming out of Michigan – He's a natural center, but he played on the left side at, at Michigan on that line with uh, Fantilli and, and Rucker McGordy, the Winnipeg draft pick. And yep. they were one of the best lines in college hockey this season. And a lot of that was because of Brindley, the energy that he brought to the game, the skill that he brought to the game. 28 points in 21 games after the World Juniors. You know, he was scoring right on par with Fantilli there. So, you know, and, and there's a certain energy and swagger that he brings to the game. Not that, you know, other guys don't have it, but just in talking to to Brindley and talking to guys around Brindley, they talk about the energy, the excitement, the enthusiasm he brings to the game. And I think it's something maybe the Leafs could use, assuming they keep that core group in place. You know, Matthews and Marner and Nylander and, and uh, you know, Tavares, they could use a little bit of a guy with a high energy, high end, you know, Brendan Gallagher type of attitude. Ooh, I like gonna, that name. So, well, yeah. So a guy who's not going to guy who's going to be fearless out there, but a skilled fearlessness. I think that's what Gavin Brindley brings to any team he ends up with just that, you know, that nonstop motor, that high end, high energy work ethic. He's a good penalty killer. I think he was the, you know, I talked to his coach at Michigan and said he was the best penalty killer they had. And this is an 18 year old freshman we're talking about here. So you're, you're talking about a guy who brings a lot to the table and on a team that maybe could use that little bit of, you know, that little bit of sandpaper in the top six yes. to go with the skill, I think Gavin Brindley would be a good fit for the Maple Leafs. Well, the, the other guy that I was wondering, and I mean, the Leafs don't have a plethora of picks. Unless they spin a couple of deals here to get some more picks into their satchel. They have the the fifth and the sixth pick uh, in, they have round five, round six, sorry. Um, I'm looking at Jeremy Hansel as the overager from Seattle uh, mm-hmm. for the fifth round pick. Um, obviously six foot, 196 pounds, um, you know, really rounded out his game this year was one of the better penalty killers in the WHL, um, could be a pick for the Leafs. I'm wondering your thoughts on that one that maybe, uh, you know, worth taking a flyer on, 
uh, where he's an overager? Well, for sure. And and what you get with a player like that is the maturity of a guy who could fit into your lineup a little bit sooner because it's a difference between drafting an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old. It's more than just two years on on the on the age scale. You're talking about two year two more years of experience, two more years of maturity on the ice and off the ice. You know, you remember how you were at 18 versus how you were at 20. There's a lot of development that goes on, a lot of maturity that goes on. So you're also talking about a guy you can put in the American League right away. He can step right into a pro system and just be able to start that adjustment to life as a professional where it's it's your job. And it's not just your job, it's your life. And th- there's something to be said for that level of development where you don't have the protection of a billet family or your mom and dad or whoever your, your living situation was. This is the real world. So yeah. when you draft somebody 20 years old, there's a little bit more of a there's a little bit more that you're working with. So if that's the case, you know, for sure, that's definitely worth taking a flyer on. The the other guy that I was thinking of too, I mean in the sixth round is uh is Hoyt Stanley. Um another defenseman, obviously, right hand shot. They're kind of coveted. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> says that from from dawn till dusk. Um again, he's uh six foot, 187 pounds, 38 points, 53 games. Um, you know, they say that if he's brought along the right way, he could potentially be a top four D but it would take some time and some work for him to get there. Skating is one thing that I think they want him to, to work on and bring up. But for, for Hoyt Stanley, I mean, in the sixth round, if, if you can get a project like that and have Paul Matheson, the Leafs skating coach, work with him there and really bring him along and up his game, that might be another, like I said, right-hand shot defenseman that you can add to your system and hopefully maybe turn into something. Well, for sure. And the advantage of him coming out of the BC league is He's got, you know, he's probably going to end up going to college somewhere. I'm not 100% sure where that's going to be, but that's, you know, again, you're you're adding more to, you know, he's going to go to Cornell. You're, you're just, again, continuing to build up the development, allow him to get bigger, get stronger. It's one of the nice things about college hockey is it's a weekend league. So while you're only playing games Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you've got Monday through Sat Monday through Thursday in the gym, practice skills and and it's such a huge advantage you know it really is a great route for guys who maybe haven't hit that development level physically where they can just really lock in on gym time getting bigger getting stronger adding muscle mass as well as working on their skill set and it's just it's a more it's just a much more relaxed atmosphere and you know not to say there's anything wrong with you know playing in the western league and playing the ontario league playing in the quebec league where you're playing an, an NHL style 68 to 72 game schedule with yep. travel, but this, you know, so it's, it's everything it, different paths. And it's funny. Um, we are at the combine. We had Connor Bedard, Adam Fantilli, and Leo Carlson there to speak to us. And you're talking about three very different routes to get to the same point. Yep. You know, you've got the Western league, you've got the NCAA and you've got top end European route, but they're all going to get you to the same point. And it's what works best for each individual player. And I asked Adam Fantilli that, you know, why college hockey is obviously he had a chance to play in the Ontario league. And he said, you know, he goes to prep school and he enjoyed it. And his brother was there and he went to the U S league and he enjoyed it. And his brother was there. Obviously that certainly helped. And while he was in the U S league, he visited university of Michigan and he fell in love with it. So it just happened to be the best path for him. For Connor Bedard, the best path was, through Regina and the Western Hockey League. For Leo Carlson, it was coming up through the Swedish Hockey League. So, you know, whatever the path works for you, the end point still has to be the same. So for whether it's Hoyt Stanley or any other player, college hockey, it's a great route. You'll see it with kids from the U.S. national team program. College works for them because it allows them to get bigger, get stronger, work on their skills in a different atmosphere while still getting high-level training but the end result is still going to be the same. They all want to get to the NHL. Right. No. So you mentioned college level hockey. We see a lot of players developing there, especially when on our team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, Matthew Nyes. Um, what are your thoughts on him? We've got a little taste of him. He, he looked fantastic, at least in our eyes. Is this guy going to develop into a superstar? Is he going to be 
he's going to be as good as everyone's saying. Is there any, and is there any other leap prospects that we should keep our eye on? Well, I, I think as far as Matthew nice goes, I, I think it's just a matter of, of let's just say metering expectations. I know how, you know, well, it's like, I know how people in, in Toronto can get, and, and it's, yeah. it's all honesty is really no different anywhere than anywhere else. Your, your guy comes in and he plays the way Matthew nice played. You just kind of assume the best, and yeah. you have to be careful. You don't want to put the weight of expectations on him. If Matthew Nees comes in and he can score twenty to twenty-five goals next season, you you should be very happy with that. If I'm a Maple oh, Leafs fan, I'm very happy with twenty to twenty-five goals in a support secondary scoring role. It's pretty good. And then, and again, that's under the assumption that the big four are still there, right? If, yeah. If for- you can get that from Nees from a complementary role. I think you're very happy with that. From what we've heard so far, just to touch on Matthew Nyes and what he's doing with uh, with Austin Matthews, I guess he's with Austin Matthews right now, and the two of them are working together. And apparently, um, Mitch Marner is going to be joining them in July. Um, so that line can really, I guess, work and mesh together. And I don't know if they've been told or things have already been said or whatever, but I guess they're kind of under the working impression that the three of them will work together. So he may get the, uh, the Michael Bunting uh, bump effect where, uh, you know, he may get, you know, like you said, 20 goals, 60 points riding shotgun with those two players. And that'll probably come with second power play time, obviously to develop them there. But I liked what I seen with him with the ability to strip the puck and having confidence to do those things at a young age and just stepping in. So yeah, obviously the college road is, is great for, for development and, uh, yeah, he must have <laughs> been excited to step in and do what he did so far with the Leafs. And it was a shame to see him go out the way that he did. But I know he'll come back stronger and ready to roll. Well, and then for sure, you know, the fact that, and to your point, the fact that he was willing to, you know, try certain things and, and play certain ways, that's what happens when you come in a, as a 20-year-old with, what, three years of college experience? You know, he yeah. wouldn't have that same effect if he came in at 18. So there's that opportunity to grow, develop, just work out the finer details in his game and become the player that he becomes where he's able to step right into an NHL lineup in a very pressurized situation and perform and not look out of place. That was the biggest thing with me, for with Matthew yeah. Nice. He never looked out of place. You never were like, ooh, that's, that's kind of a rookie, quote-unquote, rookie mistake. You know, he just, he looked like, he was a good fit. He knew what he was doing. He was comfortable. And and that's that's half the battle, right? That mentally being able to say, I'm here. I should be here. I deserve to be here. Let's just go. And not thinking yeah. about where he should go or what he should do. We're wondering, you know, you take the brain out of it and you just go. And I think that's where he was. And that's what made him look like he really fit in as a, as a, guy stepping into a as i said a very high pressure situation he looked right at home no he definitely did there's a few other players obviously and pete touched on it asking about prospects there um fraser mitten ty voigt um some of these guys you know they popped a little bit and had some you know bubble underneath their name now they're going to be coming in obviously probably to the marley situation another player that i've kept my eye on is toppy nemela um kind of excited to see what he may be able to do philip crawl with the maple leafs just shoulder injury took him out I'm wondering, is there anyone that you see maybe in that group or in the Leafs group as a whole as a prospect that might be able to make a step? Because the Leafs are obviously going to need cheap, cost-effective guys. And well, just, I'm wondering yeah. if there's somebody out there. there just, and you mentioned one of them, Topi Niemela, is a guy that I've gotten to watch at World Juniors a little bit, and I thought he's a guy that really looks like he could be, you know, again, in that secondary scoring role who could be a help to a team and, and Niemela sort of the same way. I don't think you need him to be a guy who can carry a pair, but he's certainly got the size and the skill set to be a legitimate NHL player. I think a guy who, you know, with the proper time to develop, you know, it's a little bit harder for defensemen coming over. Obviously he's probably going to need some time in the American league just to get ju- adjust to the smaller ice, you know, the, the more physical play in North America, but coming out of, of, SMLE coming out of the Finnish league. I think he's got a chance to be a really nice player. I've watched him, you know, here over the years, and I've always been impressed just by the head for the game, the skill set, the way he skates along the blue line and run and would run the Finnish power play. I think he's got a chance to be a decent player. 
Oh, you got me excited. And I think that's why the Maple Leafs were kind of confident in moving off of Rasmus Sandin with some of the guys they do have in the pipeline that can come up and maybe make an impact on the defensive side of things. Um, I look this. Uh, I look at this draft for the Maple Leafs and say you got three picks. So obviously you you might not hit any home runs, but the past couple of years or few years, I should say, Nick Robertson's one of them. Frazier Mittens another now, who people say may have a little substance to his name. The Matthew Nyes as well. Um, so I'm hoping they can get someone good, get someone just to add to the cupboard because the picks are bare. I want to ask you this one: with the Vegas Golden Knights winning the Stanley Cup with only one drafted player on their roster, which is not usually the way it goes. Usually teams build through the draft and get their superstars. Do you see teams using that model to go out and just acquire what they want, like Vegas has done? Because that's basically what they've done since they came in the league. They're very bullish. They see a player. They want a player. They don't care what the assets are, whether it's a Suzuki, picks, you name it. They'll get rid of it to get what they want in. Do you think long-term that is the right move to do? And I know they all want a Stanley Cup, so we can point to that and say, Vegas got their cup, so maybe it is. But for long-term sustainability of a franchise? Well, the short answer is no. I don't believe it's sustainable. I think it's for for them in their situations very particular because they just haven't had the time or the opportunity to develop a prospect base. Yeah. However, I, I think that has to be the next move for them moving forward. I, I don't think you can survive long term just going through free agency and and trading your future for your present before it catches up to you. And I, I think at a certain point they do need to start developing their own talent, their own inexpensive talent, guys that can come in and be, you know, more than just supporting characters. I think they need to they need to draft and develop guys who can be impact players for them because you're not going to have William Carlson and Jonathan Marchessault and, and, you know, those guys forever. I think they've kind of started that a little bit. You know, I think Matias Apavalov has a chance to be a decent player for them you know, moving forward, I think Brendan Brisson has a chance to be a good player for them moving forward here. You know, I understand why you moved a guy like Peyton Krebs. I understand why you moved a guy like Zach Dean, you know, to help you in the present when you have a chance to go for the cup. And, and you know, they they really wanted it and they got it and they got what they wanted. But yeah. the flip side of that is eventually you can't I, I don't believe it's sustainable to continuously trade your future for your present because at a certain point the present's not going to be there for you at a certain point you know you're not going to be able to get a guy who can do for you what Jonathan Marcheseau can do for you because you don't have the assets to give up to get him because it can't just be pick 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 they're going to want players that's why St. Louis wanted Zach Dean when they moved Ivan Barbashev that's why they wanted Buffalo demanded Peyton Krebs in that deal you know when they made the Jack Eichel move so you have to have young players either to, you know, to come into your organization to help behind the, the older develop the older veterans that you have just to keep. That's how you build that winning tradition is you don't just have all, you know, a free agent cast of guys that you sort of bring together. You need to draft and develop and let those guys grow behind them to eventually replace them. And that's how winning consistently comes around. Yeah, no, I fully agree with that. That's why I led it with saying, you know, most teams do build yeah. through the draft. Uh, it's Vegas a very, yeah, it's a very, to do what they did the way they did it, I think that was more of a unique situation. Yeah, I, I and I mentioned it like that because the NHL is such a copycat league that everybody looks at everything. And now also the other flip side too is people will look at the Chuck trade and say, hey, maybe we send one of our kind of guys out and bring in two players and, who knows, maybe it blows up in both teams' faces. I still think that Calgary will get a pretty pretty good shake out of the deal they got with Uyghur and Huberto. But again, the copycat league thing, it stands. Teams do it. So I'm I'm hoping we don't see a whole bunch. But I mean, at the sideline thing, trades are cool. So I mean, if you see a oh, whole bunch sure. of trades going on, everybody will get excited. But yeah, no, I fully agree that building it through the right way is the best way to go. Well, before we wrap up with you, we do have our five burning questions brought to you by our friends over at Boxing Rock Brewing Co. Uh, They're pretty fun little questions. I want to ask you uh, question number one. Which player impressed you the most at the Combine 
It could be physically or it could be behind the mic talking to you guys. Which player kind of just made you go, wow, this guy's got it? That would be Tom Willander, the defenseman from Rogla in the Swiss League, who's going to end up at Boston University in the fall. Just a guy that that I've watched. I just watching him on video. You see a very mature, very poised player, really good skater. And then you get to meet him in person, and he's bright, well spoken, knows where he wants to go, what he wants to do, and what needs to be done to get there. And you know, you can't spend five minutes around the young man and not be completely impressed with who he is how he handles himself off the ice, certainly. And then you watch him on the ice. He looks like he's going to be an elite level player, you know, within very short order. You know, I talked to his coach out in, out in Rogla and they believe the same thing. They would love, they thought he could have played on their team this season, but oh, because wow. he was, because he was dead set on going the NCAA route, he could only practice with them. So I said, how was he in practice? And he said, he was so competitive guys on their team, would kind of skip to the back of the line when he came up to the front because they just didn't want to deal with the competitive nature of the kid. And again, he's 18, he's six foot one. He's a hundred and I believe 175, 180 pounds. So he's put together pretty well, can still get a little stronger, but the yep. skating, the physical, he, he, he plays the game with an edge. He's good in all areas of the game. He can defend well, skates outstanding, but he's a guy that really impressed me just from getting to, to talk with him for a little bit. And I'm going to have a story on NHL.com here in the next couple of days. So you'll be able to read more about Tom Melander there on NHL.com. We'll have to check that out for sure. Awesome. Awesome. Now this, you may have already answered the the next question here, but was there an answer to a question from the combine that really impressed you? Like there was a really good interview for one of the players. Um, You mean just the interviews that I had with them or the interviews that they had with NHL teams? Um, Give us both. Either or just like an answer yeah. from one of the players. That's kind of like a good one, whether it's from you guys or from anywhere that you may have heard. That's just a, a great answer. Well, I think, you know, I, I, I'll put it this way. So we had Adam Fantilli on our draft class podcast, and we asked him right off the hop, you know, what are you doing next season? And he gave just the perfect non-answer answer where he Works was just out. like, you know, and, and well, yeah. And some guys would sort of get a little deer in the headlights, but he's like, no, I'll make my decision when I make my decision. I'm not going to say yay or nay either way. So I thought that was pretty impressive. And he sort of, handled it the right way. And and my feeling is he's going to go back for one more year of school. That's just the, the impression that I got just from talking to him and then hearing him talk in other situations, other outlets that he thinks he, you know, maybe needs another year of college. We talked to Brandon Narado, the coach at Michigan, and obviously he's a little biased. He would love it if he stayed for four years, but yeah. um, obviously I don't think that's going to happen, but yeah, I, I think there are still things that he wants to accomplish in college. And I thought he gave us a pretty good answer as far as what we heard from NHL teams. You know, we always ask the guys, you know, what did you get anything goofy, silly, strange? <laughs> yeah. um, one of the ones we heard was uh, Matthew Wood, uh, the Ford from University of Connecticut, said uh, he was asked, what would you want people to say about you at your funeral? But that was a little interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and he was like that, you know, he's, well, well, what did you say? He's, well, just that I was a good person, a good, you know, husband slash father, that kind of thing. So, you know, nothing, nothing out of the ordinary. And, and um, yeah, I think that was really it. There wasn't, this wasn't a, a big year. Like in years past, I've had guys say, you know, they would ask me what the longest river in Canada is. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> just just and they would, yeah. And they would ask all the kids that whether they were Canadian or not. And it was just sort of, well, you know, how do you react? I guess it's more to test. Like, how do you react in, in, strange situations on the ice unexpected situations on the ice off the ice yeah I, I, I don't know so and and no if you're if you're wondering i do not know what the longest river in canada is <laughs> don't worry neither do <laughs> i and i'm here <laughs> we're all right um i gotta ask the uh, the biggest shock for you that you've seen at a draft uh whether it's a trade or a pick this will be question three um yeah so biggest shock whether it's a trade or a pick that you've got to uh kind of experience or either soak in like whoa okay that just happened well, I, I think, um, oh gosh, it would have been, I don't remember. It was the year Boston ended up with three picks in a row. And I oh, think that yes, was, tw I want to say it was 2012 because we were on the bus in traffic, stuck on the media bus, waiting to get there. And we're all scrolling through and we all got the notification that Dougie Hamilton had gotten traded. 
And that's how they got their third pick. And we're like, wait a minute. So they have 14, 15, and 16? Has that ever happened before where a team's got three straight picks? So that was a little bit of a of a stunner there, just kind of sitting and waiting and wondering, like, all right, this is a little unique. Are they going to use all three picks? Are they going to take two of them and try to move up and try to go farther up the ladder? And then, you know, we all know what happened after that. They took um, DeBrusque, Zaboral, and, and Seneshin, and the next three picks in, in somewhat, I don't remember the exact order, was um, Barzell, Kyle Connor, and Thomas Shabbat. So, yeah. You know, if Insane. you're if you're a Boston fan, you know, maybe not the most shining moment for you. But that I remember that whole process being like, this is this is a little different. We might not see this again anytime soon. No, that's a pretty big one for sure. Awesome. Now, uh, for question four here, is there like a story that uh, maybe you heard of or maybe there's just a, a really funny story from your coworker at the draft is just something that pops into your head here? So my first draft was 2008 in yep. Ottawa and the night before. So we're, so this is day, day one of the draft night, one of the draft, uh, Kurt Overhart, I believe was the agent sent a note to all 30 teams and released it to the media that David Carl, the, um, now the, the head coach of university of Denver, um, at that point was a defenseman for Shattuck St. Mary had a second round rating probably would have been a top 50 pick had been had been forced to retire from hockey because of a heart condition. Um, wasn't going to be life-affecting, but he wasn't going to be able to play anymore. And he was he was removing himself from the draft. Okay. Yeah. So Okay, so he's out. So fast forward to the next day. Um, it's the seventh round. We're three picks from the end. Tampa says, we select from Shattuck St. Mary's, David Carl. My boss mm-hmm. and I look at each other and he goes, that's a story. Go find out what happened. So I immediately run down to the Tampa table and Jay Feaster was the general manager at the time. And, um, but Jay was on his way out because uh, Oren Cools and Len Barry were about to take control of the franchise. And they were in the process of bringing on Brian Lawton as the general manager. So I went to Jay and I had a good relationship with Jay. I said, Jay, tell me about David Carl. And he's like, that's Oren's pick. Okay. okay. So I, I, motion for the, I, I grab a hold of Tampa's PR because Oren was there. He was at the table. And I said to Oren, um, I said to their PR guy, I said, I need Oren. He's okay. He brings him over. And I said, you know, I introduced myself. I said, Oren, please explain to me the David Carl pick. And he kind of started to hem and haw and he couldn't really get the words out. And then he became very emotional. And then he became very emotional to the point where there were tears and he wow. just, you know, to gather himself, he just kind of walked away. And I just stood there with the PR guy. And after a minute or two, the PR guy came over to me and said, Oren's not available. And that was it. And, and if you know, Oren Cools at the time, he was, and, and this wasn't, he wasn't blowing me off by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. He was just too emotional to speak. Oren Cools was the producer of the Saw movies, the horror movies. So all I can think of is I went back to our little, cause we have a little private spot at .com at the yep. draft every year. And I just, I said, I made the guy from the Saw movies cry. And that was, you know, so here's, so, and it's funny, um, earlier this season, I wrote a story on Steven Stamkos getting 500 goals and a thousand points and a thousand games all this season. And of course I had to talk because I want to talk about where they were when they got Stamkos in Tampa to where they, where he is now. And of course I want to talk to Warren, fantastic guy. I found him on Twitter, had a great conversation. Of course I had to ask him, can you and I, I remind I took him through the whole thing and he had a had a chuckle. He said, Look, the I knew the kid's story. I know what he put went through to get to this point. I wanted to give him a moment. I knew we were ne- it's a seventh round, it's a three picks oh, from the end. I got the guy's, not, the guy's not gonna, you know, the guy we take with that pick, there's like a one percent chance of him ever doing anything. Yeah, we can do that, or we can give this kid his moment. And they and and his decision was to give the kid his moment. That is amazing. I yeah. love it. That, that's one of the best stories I've ever heard. That's amazing. I'm glad we asked that question. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 But you don't hear about those things too, too much no. either, right? So right. those little little behind-the-scenes things. So that's amazing to hear. And yeah, like Pete said, I actually got goosebumps right now. So that's, that's a wicked story. Um, the last one we have is um, it's about Connor Bedard. And I want to just get your gut feel here. Because there's all kinds of different levels that we put these players in that are supposed to be coming up that are the next big thing. 
They have the tags of generational, elite, superstar, or star. If you had to wager amount of money, an imaginary amount, on what type of player Connor Bedard will end up being by the end of his career, I know crystal ball looking, will it be the generational type, the elite type, the superstar, or just a star? Well, I, I would say, you know, Sidney Crosby has played 18 years. He's got 1,500 points. I I would have to say if Connor Bedard can stay healthy and if he can have a 20-year career in the NHL, I would think, you know, four, 13, 1,400 points. I don't know if that's outside out of the realm of possibility. If you look at where he is now and the projection as you play it forward, you know, he's a guy that, no, he does not have the dominant NHL size. He's never going to be built like Fantilli at 6'2 yeah. and, 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 and close to 200 pounds. But the head for the game, the skating, the vision, the elusiveness, and as good as it is now at age 18, it's only going to get better and better and better. You know, you guys have Austin Matthews in Toronto. The Austin yeah. Matthews that we see now at age 25 is far different from the Austin Matthews you saw at age 18. Very so true. if you look at Connor Bedard now, and remember, he's still only 17 years old. He's not going to turn 18 and for another month. Yep. So he's the not only is he the best player in this year's draft, he's one of the youngest. So if you look at where he is now as a player and you continue to project along the lines of development, I, I think, yeah, if he stays healthy and he has the, the players around him to you know get the most out of his talent, I think we're looking at a guy who has the chance to be a foundational elite player in the NHL for a long period of time. Oh. And however you want to you wanna yeah. call that generational superstar, whatever label you want to put on it, I think that's the player he looks like he's going to become. No, it's going to be good for the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, for their fans anyways. I don't want to talk too much about the organization at this point. but Well, I think know, it's good I, for the NHL. It's good it, for the yeah. NHL because you're bringing it, you're not just bringing in a great player. You're bringing in a really good person. Because if you, ever sit, if you ever sit down and listen to Connor Bedard, and, and you, you can go back and you watch his interviews at the World Juniors. I was there for it. And he had this magical tournament, the fourth most points of any player who's ever played in the World Juniors, utterly and completely refused to talk about himself. Yep. He has that highlight goal against Slovakia that we're going to see ad infinitum every year on TSN. And he wouldn't talk about it. He said, we won the game. That's all that matters. I have my gold medal. When we asked him what the highlight of his season was, you know, it was getting to the playoffs with Regina because he hadn't yep. been there before in the Western League. It was winning the gold medal at the World Juniors. It wasn't 70 goals. It wasn't 140 points. It wasn't WHL Player of the Year. It wasn't CHL Player of the Year. It was team accomplishments. So he's a smart, well-spoken young man, comes from a family. You know, I've, I've had the chances to speak with his father. I, you know, I know we've written stories on, on his mom on .com. They're good people. He comes from a good family. He was raised right. He's going to come into the NHL. Listen, he's got some swagger to his game. He's not a choir boy. He's not a boy. He's got some good energy to his game. I remember uh, we talked to Carson Bjarnson, the goalie from the Brandon Wee Kings, and we are like, well, what kind of chirping would you get? And he said, oh, Bedard would say, I had top corner. You just got lucky. You know, so he's got some of that to his game, which is nice, which you want. Yeah, you want. You, you do, don't you want. Do. You don't want bland. You don't want milk toast. So he's got some personality to him. So he's a good player. He's a great player, and he looks like he's a great person. So I think it's not. It's great for Chicago, and it's great for Blackhawks fans, but it's also great for NHL fans because you're bringing in that level of talent with a really. He's a really good person. Yeah, well, the NHL needs those players. Obviously, you look at uh, like a Sidney Crosby esque kind of player. Who just you know top top notch does everything asked of him, you know does all kinds of things behind the scenes as well, you know really helps grow the game and take care of people and and fans alike. So yeah, if Connor Bedard comes in, does the same milk, you know, and has his little swagger, but still is able to go out and do all the right things and say all the right things. I think that's great as well. And then for me, I'm a big guy that believes the the NHL needs more personalities, needs more flavor. Um, you know, less bland is great because. I missed yeah, the fun of the P.K. Subans or the, the Ovechkin hot stick that everybody got upset about. I love those moments, and I wish we had more of them each year. I'll tell you a great P.K. story. Um, 
covered the World Juniors in Ottawa the year they won the fifth straight gold medal. And I remember standing on the uh, the meteorizer, not the me- the interview area, the the mix zone, and PK was still playing in Belleville, so he was still a Montreal prospect. And and I believe it was uh, RDS was there. They were interviewing him, and he said, "Hey, can we do this in French? I'm taking French immersion. Yep. I want to try this interview in French." And they're like, "Are you sure?" He's like, "Yeah, give me the mic." And they asked him a couple of questions, and it was very halting and very limited French. But I was I remember wa- just watching that from the side and thinking. He gets it. This is a young man who gets it, who understands it. And I didn't know much about P.K. Subban at the time. I knew he was yeah. a, ni- a nice prospect, but I see that. And just then you you just watch him in that overflowing level of, of energy and enthusiasm. He was fantastic. I know some people had issues with him, the the, the triple low five or whatever he did with Carey Price. I thought it was great. Phenomenal. Yeah, I thought it was, yeah. I thought it was phenomenal. He was, he's a, he was a great player and another one, a great person. Look, they don't put your name up on a wall in a hospital ward unless you're a great human being. So yeah. to me, you know, PK Subban, he was great for the league. He was great for whatever team he played on. And now I, I think he's done really well in TV for himself. Yeah. I think more guys like PK Subban would be good. Yeah. And, and I think, I don't know if Connor Bedard is going to have that level of energy and enthusiasm. <laughs> that was kind of rare. Yeah. However, I think he's gonna. He has the right kind of swagger and the right kind of personality to be to be very good for the NHL. I love that. I love that, man. I'm looking forward to the draft. I can't wait to see everything shake out. Can't wait to see where your projected list ends up being as you cross it off as the players go. But uh, I would love to have you on throughout the summer. Pick your brain about where players went and what we talked about. But uh, I want to thank you very much, Adam, for taking the time and jumping on with us this week to talk about the draft coming up. Absolutely, guys. It was fun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this right here is Offside Hockey Talk, where the Maple Leafs and hockey come to talk.